Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Lambert, and this is the In Seclusion podcast miniseries. Today's guest recalls when the pandemic began, law firms opened a fire hose of information on clients surrounding COVID-19 issues. While firms were well-intentioned, the way the information was distributed, accessed, and indexed created barriers for the clients that law firms need to correct going forward. There needs to be a shared situation awareness between law firms and clients, and not just during a crisis. So David, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Greg. David Camion is CEO and co-founder of Mind Alliance. Hey, as the pandemic began closing down the offices across the country, looking back now, how, how did that affect you and your interaction with your clients? Well, before the crisis, long before the crisis, we established weekly meetings with our clients. And very often, these are not face-to-face. You know, our clients are all over the world, all over the United States. So there wasn't a huge change. I, I happen to have spent a decade in Homeland Security, and one of the chapters in my book, the McGraw-Hill Homeland Security Handbook, actually talked about how bad a pandemic would be. <laughs> and so I was a little bit forewarned. Yeah, I wish you would have distributed that uh, book around a little bit more for <laughs> help the rest of us. Well, at $100 a copy, I, uh, I, I could only distribute it to so many people. Uh, my wife and I used to joke that it's so heavy that you could hit a terrorist over the head with a book. <laughs> that would it be its use in, in a Homeland Security situation. So what kind of uh, clients do you have? And I, I know you said you'd already established these weekly meetings. And so it wasn't new for you. But I imagine for the clients, it, it may have been new, even if they were just calling in from another place. What kind of issues did you see that, that they were having, especially toward the beginning of this? Well, I don't think it, it, it started at the beginning, but the main issue that evolved for law firms, who are our primary clients, along with legal departments, were furloughs. I mean, before you know, too long passed, they had to start furloughing some of their staff, which was very painful and you know, nerve-wracking. Yeah. So we, we were there to kind of support them and pick up some slack. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I know another thing that, that was going on at the time is that law firms were trying to not do the furloughs, but were rather at least uh, promoting that they were doing more workers uh, that were cut in pay, including you know from partners on down. So were you seeing more furloughs in your area or were you seeing more, more of the cut in pay? Most of the people that we were interacting with at the time were were you know, heads of research services, yeah. and they were, I think, uh, furloughing more than pay cutting. Okay. What about uh, in-house legal teams? I know you do some work with them as well. What what kind of struggles did you see on that side? Well, this is actually uh, a bilateral struggle. Um, what we observed was that uh, within days or weeks after uh, it sunk in that we were in a pandemic situation, the COVID-19 thought leadership fire hose opened up. <laughs> yeah. and, so, and so we heard that clients were, were, were being bombarded by this massive flood of thought leadership. And I, I certainly understand that the law firms wanted to appear helpful. Yeah. As you know, they, they set up COVID-19 content hubs on their websites. Yep. I'm, was, I, I'm guilty there too. <laughs> and, and, and it's a good thing. In fact, one might argue, well, where were you all these years? Like, why didn't you put all the nice aggregation and 
filters and make it easy to subscribe on your website just on every topic? You know, why, why wait for a pandemic? If you were to jump in a time machine and go back, it, what would you do to tweak that to, to make it better? Would, would it be go back further and, and open the floodgates earlier and, and then that way it doesn't hit you all at once in a pandemic? Or, or is there a way that we could have treated this better? There is a way that law firms could have treated it better and would be very helpful to their clients, which is to add more metadata to their thought leadership mm-hmm. and make it more easily consumable and filterable. So, so you know, if you're a client, you probably have two bad choices when it comes to thought leadership. You can either go to the law firms that you work with, right. go to their website, look around, sign up for stuff and have your inbox uh, flooded with thought leadership. And remember that even if the thought leadership is in the body of the email, and very often it's not, right? Very often it's just, you know, a blurb, a hyperlink, because the law firms want to get the the clients back to the website. And they want to track that click. (laughs) They want to get that click. They want to get people back to the website. As you know, search in inboxes, in email inboxes, leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. Okay. And the other bad choice is, of course, having to constantly go to the outside counsel law firms that you work with or that you respect and and whose thought leadership you want to read. And and every time you need something, go to each law firm's website and look for what you need or what might be useful. So those are two bad choices because they create a bad client experience, customer experience. And so there is a, a better alternative. And, and so what we tried to do and did uh, pretty quickly to address this in the COVID-19 context was we, we went to the AM Law 200 websites and we aggregated the thought leadership and we added the metadata that in a perfect world, the law firms would have added themselves. And so we created a, we called it the COVID-19 thought leadership, legal thought leadership knowledge hub. We created a place where law firms could go, clients could go. And thought leadership was all in one place with filters by practice group, by topic, by date range, by law firm name. And um, of course, we're, we're encouraging lawyers to go to the law firm's website right. to actually get it. But at least they know where to go. They have one place to go to see what's out there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's not a new idea. Right. I mean, that's uh, it's, what, it's, it's, what we've it, been doing with blogging for years where we where sure. we put the met- metadata on or indexing. Uh, so- sounds like a, a good job for a librarian to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, funnily enough, we're, we're, we're probably going to do the same thing with our legal our legal tech weekly newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. So, as you know, for I think maybe a year plus. I've been writing a weekly newsletter. It's free. Your, your listeners are welcome to sign up. We've been writing a summary of the week's news on legal tech. Okay. You know, deals between companies, fundraising, new you know, M&A, new product launches, law firms, buying uh, systems. Um, so we, we normally have been, you know, sending this out by email. And there is a page on our website where, you know, you can get to the old issues. But we're going to upgrade that. And take our own medicine to make it easy for clients to filter all the old legal technology news by law firm, by company, by technology, by date, by country. Well, let me let me get back to something, um, and and I'm hoping 
you can answer. And, and, uh, and I don't know if this is going to be a controversial question or not, but I'm just going to toss it out there. Um, over the, the past three months, I think I've noticed that law firms that were promoting themselves as innovative in 2019 were some of the first law firms that I noticed that hit the, the legal newswire about either laying off or furloughing or cutting pay for their employees. And so may, maybe this is just anecdotal, but are you actually seeing any real, it seemed to me like if, if, if they're truly an innovative law firm, then they would have been better prepared for this. But it seems like almost they were not as well prepared as, as some that weren't out getting the uh, the press releases. So are you seeing innovation in, in the legal industry as real or is it just a PR pitch? I think we have not yet seen the innovation, but it's going to come and it's going to come uh, uh, in a strong wave once things settle down. So I don't consider using Zoom and e-signing software to be particularly innovative. Right. But what I will uh, expect to see, what I do expect to see is to increase demand for multi-jurisdictional law summary solutions like Ogletree Deacon's uh, OD Comply, uh, because here you have, uh, you know, topics relating to COVID-19, related to labor and employment law, where you need to understand the regulatory landscape around different states and cities and, and countries. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's driving, that will drive innovation is a greater awareness of the interdependencies in the global supply chain, because now you're going to need to monitor what's going to impact your clients, what's going to impact your firm. You can't wait until it comes to your part of the world. You need to have your sensors out and, and working around the world. There are a few other things I think will, will start to pick up steam in the coming months, so now that we're used to using Zoom, or that pe- some of us who, who, who perhaps weren't as used to using Zoom are now more used to Zoom, it's clear that we need better shared situational awareness between clients and law firms on an ongoing basis. A client and a law firm can't just sync up when they have a meeting. They need to stay in sync about the legal risk environment on an ongoing basis. And client extranets have fallen flat. Uh, arguably, so have law firm intranets. But the, the big change will come when law firms and, uh, and clients start leveraging knowledge graph technology. And knowledge it, graph technology... Say, explain, explain that one to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way I explain knowledge graphs to, to in, the, in the most uh, simple terms is if you go to Google and you say, who's the director of the movie A Star is Born? You get an answer in a box called a knowledge panel, as opposed to a long list of search results that you need to look through, let alone open up, you know, and look through documents to try and find the answer. In other words, you get the answer to your question. Right. The only way you get that kind of natural language question answering ability is if the data in the corpus has the metadata, the semantic metadata markup that enables you to pinpoint the answer, not the document, not the page with the answer, but the answer. Right. And so if you want to save people time, it's useful to anticipate what questions they're going to ask and to already have the answer ready to deliver 
And so I think we're going to see more use of that technology because, uh, you know, investment banks are all over it. All the major what, tech what, companies. What does the interface look like? Is this like a chat box? Is it like a Google search page? What I'm, I'm trying to visualize what, what it would so, look like. Yeah. So there are many ways that you can leverage a knowledge graph. Um, some are very visual and some are less so. Uh, mm-hmm. So yes, you could have a chat bot where you're chatting with a bot and the reason that the, the bot can actually answer your questions is because there's a knowledge graph in the bot underneath gotcha. the hood. Another interface is literally a graph visualization where you see like the Carrie Matheson terrorist connected to locations, connected to money, connected, right? The, the, those kinds of six degrees of separation charts that analysts use. But frankly, knowledge graphs underpin pretty much all the common consumer interfaces, even in e-commerce that you see, like, you know, shopping on Amazon. Yeah. It's not really a determinant of the interface. It's more about what kind of queries you can answer and recommendations you can make. And that's another key thing we'll see, I believe, in legal tech innovation over the coming year or two, which is smarter and smarter recommendations. As we get through whatever this is, this blur of, uh, of the pandemic, what are some of the permanent changes that you think are going to happen within the legal industry as a result of this pandemic? Well, some of the most interesting, not necessarily the most common changes, but I would think the more interesting changes that will become permanent. Some sophisticated clients will ask their more sophisticated law firm partners to become more proactive, to not wait until they show up with a legal problem, but to help them look over the horizon and anticipate what, what's coming and to prepare for that. And so I think more contingency planning and crisis management planning, uh, not just in the sense of, of natural disasters or, or other types of crises, but legal uh, over the horizon, you know, anticipatory intelligence. Uh, I sort of referred to this before. Another, I think, change which will become permanent is the notion that a client and a law firm have to have shared situational awareness about what's going on uh, now, not just anticipating what's going to happen, but you know, what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And so the first generation of these tools forced the client to log in and do a search. The second generation of the tool enabled the client to sign up for alerts, and there was a lot of noise. And by mm-hmm. the way, that could, have been, that could be an internal client, a partner, it could be an external client, you know, gotcha. the client, the corporate legal. The third generation will do a better job reducing the noise. So you have fewer false positive nuisance alerts Mm. sent to you. And that'll come about in various ways. But one of the more important ways is to understand context. One of the things that I'm going to provide to um, our clients, we're going to give them the magic query survey. What's the magic query survey? (laughs) I like this, uh, this name, the magic query. The magic query is going to be a survey where anyone in the law firm who wants to take the survey, right, you can embed this in your website, is going to be able to say, what query do you wish you could get answered, but you can't because your data systems in your law firm are not all integrated? And how important would it be and what would the benefit be? And then the CIOs of the law firms that 
uh, work with us on this will actually get a dashboard where they'll see at any point in time what are the most important systems that they need to integrate because no one has enough money and time to integrate everything. Right. You want to start to enable people to get answers to the queries that they think will help them significantly. So I think that you know it takes what I don't know a decade for law firms to catch up with investment banks. Investment banks are a decade behind the most advanced tech companies, the Silicon Valley tech giants. Right. Law firms' turn is coming. You know, in the coming years, law firms will have knowledge graphs and will have the ability to answer natural language questions, which can only be answered with data that's across multiple systems. And you'll be able to get answers to those queries, not just because it's all in one big data lake, but because the law firms understand the semantics of the metadata across all the systems, and then you'll be able to get answers to your questions. I'm hoping maybe this uh, crisis will speed up so that we're only like seven years behind. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, David, for taking some time to talk with me. Appreciate it's it. It's a real pleasure. Stay safe. Same to all the listeners. Bye-bye. Thanks again to David Camion for joining me. Remember, we may all be in seclusion, but we're in this together. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can reach out to me on Twitter at @glambert. In Seclusion is produced by Janice Anderson. The music is from Jerry David DeSicca. I'll see you tomorrow.